Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. And from 65 to 70, comrades in particular, stops being about feeling good and it becomes about your ability to keep yourself on track. Look, I'm a massive advocate of, of strength training just because of how much it improves your running and reduces your injury risk. But for the down run, it's like a non-negotiable. Like I would run less and make time for strength training. Try and do it a little bit better most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. Because if we do it better most of the time, we're going to create better habits. We are helping ourselves. We're going to have less time out of training through both illness and injury. Don't get injured. If you are injured, fix yourself now. And two, be very strict about your race plan. This Comrades Limited Edition series is brought to you by Mr. Price Sport, the official technical apparel sponsor of the Ultimate Human Race, worn by the Max Elite Runners and available for purchase at the Comrades Expo. Don't be intimidated though, Mr. Price Sports has gear for everyone, runners, non-runners, seconders and even spectators, from dry sport tees to the Elite High Racer, a full carbon shoe trusted to get the gold. They have everything you need to get on the route at value pricing to help you and your money go the distance. We invite you to hashtag join the journey to comrades with Mr. Price Sport. Make sure to give them a follow for training tips, motivation and exclusive giveaways. Catch us at the Comrades Expo where we'll be set up at the Mr. Price stand. Come by and share your journey of how you got to the start of the 2023 Comrades and you could be featured in an upcoming Making a Runner episode. See you there guys. Nicola! Davey on the run. Davey on the run. I haven't been called that <laughs> by you in a while. How are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm feeling good, eh? Five weeks to go to Comrades. Is it five weeks? Five weeks. My God. I, I, um, after this conversation, I think I'm, I'm spiraling a bit, doing a classic, uh, a classic Dave spiral. But, uh, but as you'll learn, Coach Perry says... A nervous runner is a good runner. A fearful runner. A fearful. I'm petrified, so <laughs> I'm going to do very well. As a good Comrades runner. And guys, Coach Perry, for those of you that don't know, is one of South Africa's most widely recognized coaches. It's someone he, that Nick aspires to as a coach. For sure. He's the official Comrades marathon coach. He's also a world, runner's world columnist and has led teams to the London and Rio Olympic Games as well. So he's extremely experienced, knows exactly what he's talking about. And you can just tell he has a natural passion for the sport as well. He loves comrades. For sure. So guys, this, this episode is focusing around the comrades training, tips for race day, and especially the most important one I find that helps a lot is the route breakdown because you got to know that route. you got to know what you're going in for. So 
But uh, guys, you'll also notice that this is a special edition series and usually these are a bit shorter, but um, we honestly just had so many questions for Coach Parry and he was nice enough to give us an hour of his time. So it's going to be packed with information. So if you're looking for answers, this is definitely the podcast to listen to um, Yeah, for those answers and we hope you guys enjoy. Here's Coach Parry. If you love the work we are doing and the impact that Making a Runner has had on the running community so far, then why not become an official Making a Runner fan? That's right guys, Making a Runner is now on Patreon. Although this started purely as a passion project, we have had to become realistic about the time and cost of running a successful podcast. And that's why we've decided to provide memberships where our fans can either make a pledge to support our work or receive exclusive behind the scenes content, discounts on racepass.com, as well as downloadable running programs to guide them along the running journeys. If you want to make a pledge and become a super fan of the show, make sure to go and visit patreon.com forward slash making a runner. Thank you for your continued support and enjoy the rest of the show. Lindsay, thank you so much for being here with us today uh, and taking the time out of your hectic schedule, I'm sure, with uh, five weeks to comrades. You've got uh, people left, right and center needing your assistance. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, what I call um, paranoia season. So yes, lots <laughs> of very scared people Paris haven't done paranoia. enough training or, or, or injured because they uh, have done too much already. But yes, this is kind of moving into the next five weeks and of course everyone's got their long runs planned around about now or just done them or about to do them so yeah we are properly yeah. in in comrade season yeah the, the dolphins have our uh, route tester plan uh, for this weekend and yeah. a lot of a lot of clubs in durban did their route tester last weekend so it's that iconic route tester time that everybody's so eager for <laughs> yeah yeah you're getting those long runs yeah. and that's what i wanted to ask just right just right off the bat i want to get stuck straight into the comrades marathon training part of this uh, podcast with five weeks to go to race day would you say that the toughest part of the physical training is behind us, but the hardest part of the mental training is, is ahead. Yeah. So we're in, we're in a tricky phase because we are essentially in peak comrades training now. And because there's such a strong psychological component to this long run, um, it's important for a lot of people. It's almost like a rite of passage for novices and experienced runners alike. And so it also does get you into this frame of mind that you are tapering because, you know, if you're going to run between 45 and 60 kilometers, um, you've got to give yourself time to recover from it. But also it's unlikely that you're going to have a bigger week than the week that has the long run. Yeah. So it does put you into a little bit of a mindset of, of we're in taper and we absolutely have to allow some time to recover from that effort but we do need to be a little bit careful um, that we don't taper too quickly in the initial stages um, because we, we know that you know in the first two weeks we freshen up a lot and, and whatever loss in fitness we, we have in those first two weeks is easily compensated for by the freshness. But beyond the three-week mark, we really do start to drop off in fitness. So it is a little bit of a balancing act from here on in and – uh, because of the psychological component, it certainly does push you to a place where you go like, um, okay, I'm ready, and you lose that fear factor sometimes. And so this last little bit, as you said, 
complete mind games going on as you kind of get through these last five weeks. It's the it's the most challenging part of the the training, I think, from from my perspective, and I'm sure Davey will agree. It's just you you just don't know. You got to just trust the fact that you've you've done the right amount of training up until this point, and bank on the fact that you are overcompensating to an extent and you you will drop a little bit of fitness and you're willing to do that in order to have fresh legs on mm. race day and obviously as you get even closer like you mentioned in the last two weeks it just gets so difficult and you start getting all these phantom pains and now you're worrying about things that you've never worried about and your friend is now doing something completely different so <laughs> you like wondering am i missing a boat here so it is just such a mental part but to mm. build onto that I mean, how much importance is placed on on mileage from your perspective? Obviously, you know, growing, uh, being around a lot of elders and people that have run many comrades, there's there's like an obsession where it's a thousand kilometers and we'll give you this time and a thousand six hundred kilometers will give you this time and two thousand will give you this time. I mean, from your side, being the, the official comrades coach, how much obsession should we be putting on mileage? Now, so look, my, my programs notoriously make zero mention of mileage um, always time-based. And, and that's largely because I really don't want people to get stuck in that mindset of having to do a particular number and rather to treat their training from a point of view of where am I now, what have I done, what should my next steps be, um, and then you know very much try to steer especially novices away from this idea of, of having to do a specific number because if someone's into their fourth, fifth, and sixth comrades, which is typically where they where you get your best comrades performance because you've had training over a good number of years, you've got good experience of the route, your body can handle um, the training much better, et cetera, et cetera, versus you know, someone who's in their first year and trying to emulate that experienced runner's program leads to things like shin splints and ITB and patellofemoral knee pain and, and also just getting into comrades really, really tired and then not having a great first comrades experience just because by very nature of having jumped up your training so much in the first half of the year, you invariably end up lining up tired on race day because you had this magic number in your head that you think mm. you need to get to a particular time. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I mean, I mean, I know a lot of runners become fascinated. Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision with trying to hit, you know, a cert- certain distance. I know I am I am one of them. So it's, it's something that I've <laughs> had to come to terms with and deal with over, you know, these. this is my second comrades now and I'm trying not to become so fixated on it so so time and mileage is one thing but then what about the the key factors of a of a training block so obviously you know we're talking about running the distance and all of that but what would you say is most important obviously getting those long runs those track sessions speed sessions or is it a good mixture of both of them so it does depend a little bit on where you find yourself in in the field and and when i explain this to people i always talk to them in terms of percentages because if we're talking about people like you trying to get a, a silver medal, um, so clearly no family, no friends, so you've got a little <laughs> bit more time to, I, I, I to, to train, okay? <laughs> but, but essentially, if we're talking about that, that's 5% of the field. 
And that 5% of the field needs very different training to to the other 95% of the field. And if we look at 50% of the field finishes after 10 hours, again, we're talking about a very different group of people in that 50% versus the 50% under under 10 hours. Um, so it, it depends a little bit on those two things. So someone who's running uh, or trying to run a silver medal, that does require much more balanced training in terms of, of the intensity versus the volume and, again, in different phases. So as we move into this quite critical period of training, the most important thing for any comrades runner to be successful is they don't get injured. Okay, We know from stats that we've done on runners who don't finish that 64% of the people who don't finish comrades um, started with an injury, and if we unpack that further and go and talk to athletes that that don't get their medal, they start with an injury. So in this period we find ourselves now, the balance shifts away from high intensity because that's your highest risk for acute injury, and it shifts to just making sure you get what you need to do done at the right intensity. Um, because you know, if you overdo it, you can you can pick up a chronic injury. But right now, your biggest risk is an acute injury, and that is the speed work. So the top five percent, we're still trying to balance that out for the rest of the field. I always break it down in time. Okay, if you want to run a bull run or slower, which is seventy-five percent of the field, if you're going to run there, then Bill Rowan is, is six minutes per kilometer. It's a little bit less because Comrades is only 87.7 Ks this year, but let's work with the round number. Six minutes per K is what you need on race day. To really have a realistic chance of running that Bill Rowan, you want to be around about three and a half hours for the marathon, which is under five minutes per K. And so your pace differential there is more than a minute. So your limiting factor on race day is not your ability to run fast at all. Mm. Your limiting factor on race day is really your ability to keep going. We move further back in the field, it gets even more pronounced. If we talk about finishing comrades, that is running at eight, it's over eight minutes per K, whereas your qualifying time is under seven minutes per K. We're talking like an hour 15, an hour 15, a minute 15. So your differential is enormous. When we move down to seven hours, your differential is about 4.05 versus just under five minutes of case. Your differential is, is 30 to 40 seconds, which is why speed work plays a slightly bigger role as we move faster. So it depends what spectrum of the field you fall in, where you would, would run, um, and then your, your ability to recover and all the rest. And again, that's skewed towards the seven, seven and a half hour guys and the 12 hour guys generally tend to weigh more, generally tend to have poorer biomechanics, generally tend to be less experienced runners. And so I also shift further away from doing interval type of sessions, et cetera, and move much more across to focusing on being consistent at moderate, and that's an important word here, at moderate mileage rather than high mileage to make sure that they do enough without breaking down with injury. 
Oh, thank you. For That's that. a great answer. That was a great explanation. <laughs> I really appreciate that. But uh, And building off of that, it's something that I want to make a note of and something that I see a lot of runners struggling with, especially if you are a runner that, you know, on an easy run, you're running 5.30, 6 minutes a K. You know, we know a lot of runners don't really know how to run slow enough. And now all of a sudden when you go into comrades, you're faced with a lot of the times, you're having to run slower than the pace that you've, known to be doing the entire time what is your sort of advice to these runners other than the fact that you have to make sure that you take your easy runs easy that's the absolute hardest part of managing race day and um, some people can make the transition and others really really battle and the harder it is for you to do the more often you need to walk so that is your 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 only defense against really crashing and burning in the second half and that works even for silver medal athletes. So I find that anyone who really, really cannot get themselves under control, and a lot of people use the excuse that it's just too uncomfortable for them to run that easy, that's fine. Then I will build them a race plan that incorporates lots of walking so that we make sure that we force those rest periods um, and we make sure that we almost protect the legs. Now, one thing that I want to add in here is that a lot of people make this mistake and can't get themselves to run slower because they always stop their watch when they stop, which gives you a very false perspective of what your training run actually was. So when we are training, when you go out and do your 36K training run on the weekend, if you're stopping and going into shops, etc., stopping and waiting for people to catch up for you, and you're stopping your watch, you are fooling yourself into what your average pace was for that run. It wasn't that. And, and I find that people who make this mistake the most are Bill Rowan hopefuls. Okay? So they're the people who almost convince themselves Silver medal runners, I, I saw you saying you, you're guilty of that, yeah, that yourself, Davey. This one cut but the reality is because you, because you train in much smaller groups, it, it does impact, so stop doing it, but it doesn't impact as much as the, the slightly slower groups. Groups are bigger. Stops at, at, at petrol stations, for example, can last 15 minutes. And so when you look at your overall training, you go, but I easily averaged 545 a K for all of my training why can't I get this right to Comrades Race Day? Sure. Because if you add all those stops in, you were close to six and a half minutes per K average. And so that's a little asterisk there that a lot of people actually don't realize that they are training at that much slower pace because they stop so much during training. Okay. So we do want to run easier when we run, but make sure you factor in this total training time and not running time because it gives a false picture. And on race day, you're going for a bull run, and you find yourself just cannot run slower than five and a half minutes per K. You do that, at 60, 65 Ks, you're going to be walking at nine minutes a K. So factor in walk breaks to get you closer to 5.45, 5.50 a K, 
presenting your still be able to run at 60, 65k. So something to tell those runners would be to also treat their stops on their long training runs as they would treat their, their seconding tables or their seconders. Yeah, or the se- it's, so di- it's so difficult to do because, I mean, even with our club, you know, uh, last year when we were training, what really got to me was, you know, we're training for a silver medal kind of thing and and you have so many of these water stops because you're part of a bigger club and there's people going for all sorts of times so you take advantage of all those stops and and we ended up stopping a hell of a lot and you you know i was pausing my watch all the time and it's just it's something that you i agree (laughs) you have to replicate you know your race day uh, environment as, as much as you can for Davy. If it doesn't happen on Strava, <coughs> if it's not on Strava, it doesn't exist. Yeah. So that's that's how he goes yeah. about it. So Davy, I will give you this tip. Okay. Because I I I like to run with people too. You know that's part of why we do this is is to be social and interactive. And so I don't stop. I either run. I get to the water table, turn around, and run back to the last runner and then back to the table so that I really minimize my stationary time, sure. which then also means you don't get fooled by the average time on your watch because your watch keeps running, um, and it means that you are stationary less of the time. So that's just something that you can use. It means um, you can still run with people, have a social, you run a little bit further, um, but yeah. you also don't fool yourself yeah. with these long stops in your long runs. Yeah, unfortunately, we do that. It's cool. <laughs> so we do that, and then I still end up pausing my watch. So I need to, yeah. I need to get, I need to figure that one out. But um, Coach Barry, I just also yeah. wanted to ask. So this is, this is obviously this period has come and gone, and that's the period of you know qualifying times, uh, choosing your qualifying marathon, and, and you know sticking to that and getting your goal and. Um, in 2022, Nick and I both qualified with Cape Town Marathon, which was at the end of 2021. Yeah, that, talking for the previous year. Yeah, for yeah, the previous yeah. year. So I wanted to know, is it, is it better to, to qualify with your marathon you know, in the previous year or during the course of the year of Comrades Marathon? Yeah, so I, I definitely prefer that. Um, and, the, and the reason for that is because if, let's say you're going to qualify in this year, okay, or if you were going to qualify in 2023 for 2023, that means that you're going to start building up either in December, which isn't that convenient, or probably January when most people do. So that means that your window for qualifying is probably somewhere between the end of February and the middle of March. But with a June comrades, middle of March, that's when we really should be focusing on comrades training. Okay. Um, and, to qualify and run a marathon hard, you need time to recover. So you're effectively pushing your comrades, start of your comrades preparation into April. So wherever possible, i.e. more experienced runners, I do look to October, November as a good time for qualifying so that in December you can mentally refresh, take some time off from hard training. You can still carry on training, but it means you can come back in January and just start a very slow build-up and bring yourself to the boil so that you can train properly in March and April and then start to bring your training down in May and then you are ready for a, a June race. It was difficult last year because if you ran comrades on the 29th of August to get yourself ready for a qualifier in, in October would have been silly. Yeah. So for this year, we, we had to do it a little bit different. But again, now that Comrades is back in its home in June, I would encourage people to try and qualify in October, November, 
with a little asterisk for novices, people who start running after comrades because they want to run comrades that watch it on TV. They need more time to build up so that they don't get injured, but at the same time, they probably shouldn't race a marathon all out if they don't need to, to get their qualifying time in. But for the majority, October, November, that's, that's the time to get your seating. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 we've done both of it now because in 2021, we did the Cape Town Marathon back end of 2021 and then and then the Comrades was, was in August. And for me, it felt like such a long build-up and I, I feel like I got burnt out towards it and yeah, it, it wasn't mm. a good experience. But then this experience for me this year has been, has been so much better, especially with two oceans in the middle because it's been something that for me, I was able to, you know, focus on that. So it, it broke the it broke the training period into two, you know, because you started training for two oceans and say February and March, April, you came and you did, you, you did two oceans. And then when we finished oceans, it's like six weeks to go until, until comrades. And it's just, for me, it was like, you know, do two oceans, refocus, and now comrades is just around the corner and you haven't been fixated on just doing comrades because you've broken it up. So I know there's a lot of people that obviously say you shouldn't do both or you should do both or depends on what time of the year two oceans is. But just quickly, um, I wanted to get your opinion on that, uh, doing both in in the year. So look, the the good thing, I know it's it's caused upsets in the running community for different reasons, but the good thing is that Oceans isn't actually going to move around anymore, which makes it easier for runners to plan. Okay? It does mean that it's now always going to be a little bit closer to comrades, this seven, six weeks. So again, for me, if you're going to race both, you have to accept that there is going to be some compromise on comrades. Okay? But what does that mean ultimately? If someone like you is training for comrades and you're very borderline on comrades, you might not want to race oceans because even at six, seven weeks, there is going to be some carryover into comrades. Okay, So it's not ideal, but lots of people do it. And the trick then is to make sure in those first four to five days, you like almost get tunnel vision on your recovery. Make sure you recover as well as you can and then in this next block, your focus then needs to be on the kilometers, not, not as in total chasing kilometers, but in your plan. If you look at the plan that you plan for yourself, your focus should be on getting those sessions done, but not worrying about the intensity. If you've run, if you've met, for example, if you've run 56Ks at 4.15 per K, you've gotten a silver medal. I'm not sure what time you ran, but even if you ran for close to 405, 420 per K for 56 Ks, then you know 455 for 90 K is not going to be a problem unless you run out of endurance. So in that last period, then you will move away from focusing on speed and make sure that you get your plan done at an intensity that allows you to do it without getting mm, yeah. injured or more tired than you are straight off the ocean. Yeah, that makes I, sense. I think it also just speaks of the experience that has built up over the years. I mean, David did run a 353 at... Yeah. at oceans so you know he had a really good day yeah. where you know like you say a lot of novices maybe 
people that aren't even running going to watch comrades this year they're going to want to do comrades the following year they're going to want to tick all those boxes and build up quickly but as you mentioned at first it takes four to six years of experience in your running journey to actually be able to learn from the mistakes that we make and learn how our body reacts to certain types of training and what we like to do better and what we need to focus on and you know talking about two oceans in particular and i mean any ultras thereafter what is sort of your take on ultras in your training block for comrades how many ultras do you think people should do or what what's your take there yeah so look i always tailor this advice to the to the majority so i'm talking to to 80 to 90 percent of the runners when i say that in the build-up which i include the, the whole first six weeks of the year but in that build-up you you are looking to do three runs of 42 k's or longer. So that I would split up into two marathons and an ultra or two ultras and one marathon. That That's not so important for me. But effectively what that typically means is that we're looking to do that late Feb, early March, April, and May. So those are those are for the majority. That is what I would be, be looking at. Um, and I'm, I'm really like not a believer in this 60K long run. Again, I'm talking about the vast majority of the, the comrades' field rather than, than the seven and a half and faster. So Isabel, Ross, Kelly, and Silver athletes, different conversation. But yeah, yeah so that's my, my general advice. Three runs and spaced at least three weeks apart. So I really like to have four weeks between these long runs for the general runner. And that's how I build my plans. Cool. I think it also just comes down to what you said in the beginning in terms of building your plans based around time on your feet rather than uh, just looking at mileage. And, you know, if you take someone like Davey or a silver runner looking to do 50, 60 Ks, they're going to still spend a hell of a lot less time than a 12-hour comrades guy trying to slog his way to 60. Uh, that gets to a point where the mileage, you know, does more harm than good. But building... Yeah, so, so- very few people grasp that, Nick. Honestly, that's that's literally the 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 nail head scenario. Hit the nail on the head. We on a long run, whether you're training for silver or training for sub twelve, on a physiological level, we're trying to develop exactly the same engine. Okay, so our relative intensity is exactly the same. But if I run fifty k's and a twelve hour runner runs 50 Ks, that is exactly it. Our relative exposure is completely different. And therefore, the training load on the 12 hour is enormous compared to what it is for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you've literally hit the nail on the head while time is a way better element thing to focus on yeah. rather than mileage. Yeah. And if we continue on this along this conversation you know when you're training for a half marathon or training for a marathon you're getting your long run in you're getting close to the distance that's safe you're training for a 42 you may be doing a couple of 30s a 32 or something along there but now for comrades you're doing a 42 a 50 maybe if you've done oceans 56 you still got a hell of a long way to go to get to the finish i mean you're only in hillcrest by the time you're done there so how do you coach your runners mentally through that what what is sort of the the ways that you get them to think about that so the main differentiating factor there is the relative intensity 
So when you race a marathon, if you had to try and think about doing another marathon straight away, it's it's basically we're talking about a physical impossibility, okay? But when you move from racing 42 to 56 even, once you do that 56, you are knackered at the end of that 56, but the change in relative intensity means that actually how you feel at the end of the 56 is, is actually better than when you're racing a 42. But again, when you shift that change in relative intensity, you know, as, as a coach, you know that that athlete's not going to feel anywhere near how they felt there until around about 65 to 70. And from 65 to 70, comrades in particular, stops being about feeling good and it becomes about your ability to keep yourself on track. And that's where I always tell people, if you want to get your goal at comrades, you need to be desperate to get your goal because it's very easy to go to plan B. Everyone except the marginal sub-12s will finish whatever decision they make. Mm. But you have to be desperate for what you want to do because mm. there isn't any way to physically prepare yourself <laughs> yeah. Don't and lead us. a normal life <laughs> and not get injured without getting to a point where you're very, very sore. And I had a couple of failures at Comrades before I started nailing my Comrades. And the, the, what made the difference was this conversation that I had with my dad. I was like, Dad... I don't get it. I've trained like this. I've trained like this. I've trained like this. The result is the same. I get to 65 Ks and 65 to 70 Ks and it, it's just, it just really hurts. And he was like, oh, yeah. He said, that's, that's interesting. You know, like when, when we used to, to race comrades back in the day, you know, if we, if we only started hurting at 70 Ks, we'd say that's a, a, a really good comrade. If we were hurting by 60 Ks, it, it was an okay, comrades. If you were hurting before that, then we know we had a really shit day. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So basically my dad's just calling me a wuss because yeah. actually I need to suck it up. And and what I always, my advice that I give to my athletes is when you get to that point where you feel like that, run another K. Because when you get to the end of that K, what you'll see is you haven't slowed down at all. It doesn't, not feel, it doesn't feel great, but you haven't slowed down. And if you then just grind it out for another five Ks, you'll realize I'm almost at the finish. I need to grind this out for less than an hour, and I've got the time that I, I, I want to. And that is the, the key to finishing comrades. And there isn't anything you can physically do to not have that discomfort. Mm -hmm. You can do strength training. That'll make a huge difference. You can pace yourself properly. That'll make a huge difference. You can prepare properly. It'll make a huge difference. But you will still get to the point. And the better you do those three things, mm -hmm. the further that point is. But you will get to that point. And you'll have to make a decision. And then it's this that's mm -hmm. going to get you. It's going to be your head. Sorry, you guys can't see me. No, we can. Head. We can. <laughs> Yeah, you're not, you're no, no, you guys can see me, but the people oh, yeah. listening can't see we're me. We're going to make sure we get a video out of that. But uh, Coach Perry, you yeah. actually made me a bit physically ill just <laughs> describing that 70-kilometer mark. And it's so interesting what you do, what you just said. It's like you, you know you know the pain's going to come. It's going to hurt, but it's it's like about when it comes. 
for me last year, it was at the 40k mark. So going, your, going up in your, your dad would have said that that's a really bad day out. <laughs> Nick's came, I think, at at 70k. Yeah, 75. So, so about right. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's about doing what you can do to prep for that inevitable pain cave that's going to come, and, and then it's just you know a lot of mental strength as well. Something that you did mention there, the the, the importance of strength training, and I want to just pick your brain quickly in terms of the up and the down run. Obviously, this year we have a down run, and for the foreseeable, we might have down runs. But um, in terms of the importance of strength training, do you think there's a difference in the up and the down, and obviously the leg action and the how it affects us? Absolutely. And look, I'm a massive advocate of, of strength training just because of how much it improves your running and reduces your injury risk. But for the down run, it's like a non-negotiable. Like I would run less and make time for strength training because the eccentric load in the second half of both the up and the down is, is, quite, is quite big, but on the down it's enormous. Um, and you've got so many hard kilometers in the first half of Comrade. So, uh, well, not the first half, the first 60K. So the first 60 kilometers of, of Comrades on the down run, you climb close to 1,000 meters. Okay, so in 60Ks, you've done almost 1,000 meters of climbing. That is, it's just, it's too big for most international runners to even comprehend. And so you, you've been softened up by the 60Ks, and then you've got almost 37 kilometers of downhill. Um, and strength <laughs> training is All right. gold. Gold. And yeah. with, I'll tell you right now, if there's one single thing you can do between now and race day, because there's still enough time. In four weeks, you can make a huge difference to your strength training. So if there's going to be, right. if you want to change something now, we always say don't change, don't change, nothing new. The one thing you can do now, because there is still enough time, strength training. Because that, that was going to be my, my question, right? Like, I appreciate what you're saying. Okay, I do. I mean, if, they, if I'm going to listen to advice from anybody, it's not my coach over here sitting next to me. It's the man. It's, it's the comrade's coach. But, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I value your opinion, Nick. But um, so I was going to ask, is it too late? Um, and you're saying, no, it's not too late. So no. please just give me a, a top line summary of what I can do to get as much benefit in these four weeks because I'm going to do it. <laughs> Don't go to the, don't go to the O's and the Bluffs and ask them for advice for these last four four weeks. So we, we don't need you we don't need you throwing weights around in the gym. But honestly, look, Nick Nick's a buyer. He comes from a buyer background. So you want to really you really want to get in, stuck into a, a bit of functional um, movements, and you want to look. I don't always necessarily think that like the 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 high rep range, lower weights are always the best way to train, but in this scenario it is because it's also going to reduce your DOMS. So you want to get in there and do some moderate weight, higher repetition so that your legs get tired but not sore, and that's going to be the best way for you to manage. You do want to focus on on your legs, um, but for comrades, do not underestimate the importance of your upper body helping you to maintain your rhythm in the final third. So yeah. you want to do some upper body, but focusing on the lower legs. That's, yeah, so that's the kind of high level uh, look at it. Thanks, coach. Thanks for that reiterating that. I can I can feel Davey sweating. And, I'm, uh, and you know what? Yeah. I find myself in this position <laughs> twice now, all right? Yeah. 
but yeah, okay, I'll follow his guidance. But no, but like any 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 like specific specific exercises that you would recommend are going to like have the most benefit. I'm sure I can ask Nick, but whilst we for have the you listeners, here, for the listeners, yeah. step ups and split squats, single leg squats. Those three exercises: step ups, split squats, single leg squats. I think Davey knows those are your money. I think we know all of those, but I just want to do those because he makes me do funny stuff in the gym, hey? Yeah. All right. Okay. So yeah, we've we've been over the importance of that uh, strength training, and uh, how it's actually not too late. But um, the other thing I wanted to touch on, which which is such a underestimated, you know, or undervalued tool in every runner's arsenal, and only something that I've come to terms with this year is nutrition and how how big of a role it actually plays in terms of overall recovery, on the day performance, and it's not just. It, you know, I think a lot of people just think it is on the day. Okay, so now it's race day. So now I must take start taking goose. And obviously, it's much more than that. It's you know, it needs to be part of your daily lifestyle. And then also for us, you know, getting into a car build up and all of that. But um, what are your opinions on nutrition strategies? And also just considering the length of the event. It's ninety k's. It's not just a marathon. Yeah. So look, nutrition and and sleep form the base of my recovery triangle. So it's it's so important. I, w- I, try and be, I try not to be too preachy when I talk to people about nutrition and or sleep because, you know, sometimes circumstances make it, it very difficult. But the key message here is that we can all do a little bit better. And by doing a little bit better, you are going to give yourself a huge hand up in terms of your ability to recover, um, in, and not get sick, um, and then to practice for race day because that's the one thing that people don't understand. Humans are, we are highly adaptable. If something doesn't, like you go on a long run and taking things in doesn't feel particularly good or, or having breakfast, pro- probably having something to eat before a race or before training is, is probably the best example of this. If at first you can't, you really just don't like it, it doesn't make you feel good, if you persist with it, you will get better at it. Okay? Now, for something like Comrades, which is going to be 12 hours long, really getting a good fuel in the morning before you actually get out there is going to make an enormous difference. So that's a classic example of if you, if you fuel properly before, it's going to help you through the whole training process, but it's really going to help you on race day. If you get into the habit of fueling well after each training session, that's going to put you in a really good position for recovering from training sessions and being ready for the next training sessions. And it's also going to put less pressure on you for the rest of the day to be to be perfect. Yeah. And so again, my my message my message when I'm talking about these things is to say, listen, try and do it a little bit better. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time. Because if we do it better most of the time, we're going to create better habits. We are helping ourselves. We're going to have less time out of training through both illness and injury. And we're going to be much better prepared for for race day. And the final thing that I'll say about race day nutrition, and, and Nick spoke about it much earlier in the pod, and that's that the intensity that we do comrades at is lower than anything else we do. And if you don't create 
opportunities in training to take in nutrition at that intensity, you're going to struggle to know what the right amount of nutrition is on race day. And it's probably one of the key factors in nausea on race day is that you probably need slightly lower amounts spread out over longer period of time because of the drop in intensity on a race day versus even in your normal easy training mode. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it makes so much sense. I just wanted to touch on something that you mentioned there, which is a whole separate topic is sleep. And I, and I think it's something that a lot of us don't think about is because you get into this training block and us as runners, we're always complaining about how tired we are. And especially in Durban, we love to run at 5am. For some reason, it's 5am. In Durban and Cape Town, it's not. I just want to mention that. They run at like 6 or 7. But if you're, if you're training at 5am, going to bed at 10am, waking up at 4am, that's six hours of sleep. And it's no wonder we are always just so tired. So even something that, that I've noticed is like just making sure that I'm prioritizing that and like not being so pressured to run at those early hours and, and get your sleep because they do just play such a big role in you know, keeping you going and keeping you able to perform and, and recovering. But um, yeah, it's just, just something that I wanted to shout out because it is a very important topic as well. Yeah. I mean, it's important to clear up the way. Those in Cape Town don't work, so they only run at like eight, nine o'clock. I don't know where you get. I don't know where you're getting the six o'clock from, but yeah. Uh, Coach, I want to get on to your novices. So obviously, I don't know what the numbers of novices this year are. I don't know if you know, but obviously, we have twenty thousand entries. I think it was four thousand six hundred and forty-one, and um, I might be a couple of tens up. But, but I, I asked that a few weeks ago. That's why I've got got yeah. fairly close to the, that number. So yeah. let, let's call it a quarter of the field this year is going to be a novice on that. Uh, and I mean, there might be people that have attempted the race before and haven't finished it. But where do you find that most runners go wrong on the day? Pacing, without question, because it's so difficult, so difficult to understand what is easy enough and there's a second element to that and that is that a large number of those 4,000 plus runners um, are starting in G&H and that brings its own pressure because of the time lost to get across the start line. So, um, you know, we've spoken about injury. So obviously injury is huge. So we know 64% of those don't finish and we know that 50% of the people who start in H don't finish. Sure. So when we combine those two stats, we know that a lot of the people at the back of the field are starting with injuries. So that's the, that is, is, is a big factor. But then on the day, assuming you're not injured, what is your, your other big risk factor is panicking when you lose your eight to 10 minutes to cross the start line, panicking and trying to get yourself back on track. And instead of using all the way to 80 kilometers to get yourself back on track. You, you want to do it by the first cutoff point. And comrades actually stagger those cutoff points out so that you only have to be back on track at 80 k's. Um, and if you use the course and literally run the course, you will probably be back on track before Pantau. That's kind of what I would aim for. So those are, don't get, don't get injured. If you are injured, fix yourself now. And two, be very strict about your race plan. Great. Uh, because you mentioned it, I want to get onto the actual route itself and perhaps giving uh, 
those four and a half thousand people a bit of a route breakdown if they haven't been there before but i mean also if you've done a up run and now you're doing a down run it's a it's a completely different race and obviously taking into account that as you mentioned already 87.7 k's we're going back to kingsmead uh that makes a big difference Ooh. doesn't it i'll be st- i'm bummed i'm not doing comrades yeah. when i saw that so yeah no it's huge i mean essentially what the route change has done um, it's effectively, let's call it two and a half k's shorter. So what it's effectively done is given the silver guys an extra 12 minutes, uh, Isabel Roskelly silver guys an extra 12 minutes, and it's given the finishers a full 15, uh, 16, 20 minutes. So it's it's worth 20, it's worth 20 minutes to the to the people at the back of the pack, which is which is it's it's enormous. Um, my good friend Campbell in Durban always comes to my talks because he says he just loves the silent fear whenever I talk about the comrades' route that descends in the room. Um, and, and, you know, Fordyce made the, he coined the phrase, um, a, a, a scared runner is a good comrades' runner. And so while I try not to put people off too much, I do want people to really respect what they are getting into. And so I think the very important points on the comrades route are that there's a lot more climbing early than you'll expect. Um, There's a a minor tweak to the start of the race. You're not going onto the highway anymore. So essentially once you turn off the main straight um, at the start and head towards Washington, you are going to be doing quite a lot of climbing until you get to the top of Polly's. And then there's a, a long drop. Then you climb all the way to the highway. And that's really, it's dark and very few people know this, but I would say that you're probably climbing from about the nine, eight, nine K mark. You climb pretty solidly till just shy of the 20 K mark. And it's just after the 20 K mark that you get to Umlas Road 22-ish Umlas Road, which is the highest point on the course. So you get to the highest point on the course fairly early. Um, and then there's a lot of lumpy running, but it's it's not too bad again until you hit in Chunga, which is again a, a pretty nasty climb that takes you up to around 37, 38 kilometers into the race, a very long downhill then into halfway in Drummond. And then you hit the, the granddaddy <laughs> of the comrades down run, okay? And this is really where people start to flick and go like, listen, you ever call this the down run? They don't know what they're talking about. Um, and you run, it's, it's six Ks split into three climbs, okay? So you've got six Ks of which you're probably doing about 4.85 kilometers of climbing. And there are these short little rest breaks. And the first K and a half is the hardest. It's the steepest as you climb out of Drummond. Then you get a little drop off. Then you run to Alveston Tower. And then you, you get another little drop off. And then you mentally tough. You can pretty much see that thing snaking, snaking until it goes around, around the corners to Bothers Hill. Uh-huh. And that takes you to the 50, 50 K mark. Um, and that was my first comrade. That was my graveyard right there because I thought to myself, "Wow, I still have a marathon to run." And then my whole my whole brain crumbled. But 
that's both as hill and that is where the climbing largely ends. It's not over, but largely it ends. Um, you go down both as hill, through Hillcrest, there's a little speed bump in Hillcrest that you know that it's there. All the club tents are there, so most people walk it, so it's, it's really not a train smash. But when people have been telling you it's all downhill from here, and the mm. first thing you experience is another climb, it can get into your, yeah. can get in, it can get into your head, and then through Hillcrest, you've got to be careful on Fields Hill. Okay, so this is probably more pertinent to the kind of elites that I deal with, but you've got to be careful on Fields Hill. You don't want to take advantage. If I take advantage, I mean push. Use the gradient, run most of it, but you, you talk about the eccentric load and the, the pounding of the legs. That comes at Fields Hill. I actually, okay? per- and coach, then, I actually yes. have this memory of you, and obviously you won't remember this, but I, I was getting to Fields Hill, and I was running with Simone Fester, and you were handing out deep heat sprays, and you were like, <laughs> numb your legs, numb your legs, numb your legs. I'm just like, oh, gosh, it's coming. Fields <laughs> Hill is coming. I'll, I, some moments I'll never forget on that run, and yeah, <laughs> I completely agree with you. Your legs feel it after that. I, I walked down that hill, so I don't yeah. know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> And then, and then the fast folks don't know what I'm talking about here next, but then you hit Pantown, and for the average runner, Pantown is really, really hot. I mean, even in the middle of winter, um, it's, it's probably close to the most humid part of the route. It's really hot. There's just a lot of cement around, so it's also radiating up off you. Um, and then you get to Cowie's Hill, and my advice to the vast majority of the runners is just use Cowie's Hill to give your legs a break. Walk it, get over it, because the best running of the Comrades route comes after Cowie's Hill through Westville. There's a few little speed humps, fine, but the gradient of the hills from there it's not about being fresh. It's about being able to run. So give yourself that rest over cowies and then use the downhills. Um, it's typically, that's normally 18Ks, but it'll be closer to 16, 15 and a half, 16, I think, this year. So you're also really starting to get into those teens where you start to feel like the, the end is, is near mm-hmm. and really use that all the way down to um, 45th cutting uh, which is really short. So 45th cutting is only hard because of where it is. But again, principle applies. Most people can walk over 45th cutting without any drama and then roll down the backside of it. And then the biggest shock for any novice runner is that Mabel turn. As you get to the bottom of 45th cutting and you've got to get up onto the highway, look, it's not even 100 meters, but it looks like the Great Wall of China when you are standing at the bottom of it. <laughs> so just it, it, it's there, it's short, walk it. But yeah, I always mention that because it's a real nasty surprise for most. And then, yeah, and then after that, I suppose the spectators aren't amazing. It is hot, you're on the highway. But again, this year, it's going to be so much closer to the finish. I actually, I'd love to see the final measurements, but my gut tells me that it's going to be five and a half k's from the top of Mayville to the sure. finish, and it's normally five k's from Tollgate Bridge. So where Tollgate Bridge is normally a mental hurdle, I think this year it's going to be inside the last three kilometers. So 
you know, mentally you will be quite a pleasure. You'll you'll be so close to the finish that I don't think Tollgate's going to be a factor this year. Um, yeah, and 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 then as you mentioned earlier, the finish at Kingsmead, and besides being shorter, it's one of the top three running experiences that any human being can have in their life, and that's finishing inside Kingsmead. The noise is unbelievable. It's also one of the few ex- race experiences that a person can have where finishing on any of the cutoffs. So if you're a borderline silver, borderline Isabel Ross Kelly, borderline, et cetera, et cetera, it's almost louder in there than for the winner. So it's really, a, it's a real top three sure. running experience to finish at Kingsmead. I don't, I don't know if you've, like given me like joy and excitement or if you've given me PTSD because we just ran through all of that and I was just like oh my god well a fearful runner is a good comrades runner fearful or petrified (laughs) (laughs) coach thank you so much I think you've put it in such a nice way I think it was a fantastic conversation we touched on some awesome points (laughs) and obviously your breakdown of the route I think if uh, our listeners can just take points there and make sure that they take the advice that you've given and I mean guys this was meant to be like a 40 minute session and we have we've held it and we've and we've held held back on the questions (laughs) here there's just so much we could ask you and we really appreciate your time obviously uh, the official comrades uh, coach and you just have so much knowledge so just thank you so much for for taking the time to chat with us uh, pleasure always fun um, and i'm really looking forward to getting to durban in five weeks time and yeah just interacting with everybody who's yeah. lining up awesome. that's great thanks <laughs> thanks Lindsay. we really appreciate it thank you for listening to another episode of making a runner we hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform and remember to share with your running buddies Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.